0: My name is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. Open in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. You're our guest this morning, and I see some folks that are not necessarily guests, but i have been been here a while, so maybe you're not sure what we're doing. We're, we're studying through the New Testament letter of Peter. It's uh, Peter's first letter, although we believe that the Gospel of Mark was um, Mark's recording of Peter's thoughts in, in that Gospel. So, but, uh, but this is his first letter, and we're at chapter 2 this morning, and we're going to pick up in our study at verse 11. So these are the words of uh, Sagoyewatha, He'd be known as Red Jacket. I'm only going to try to say that one time, but he was the chief of the Seneca. I think I've told you actually this uh, this little story before. But a missionary by the last name of Cram, Richard, you'll you'll appreciate that. His last name was Cram, and uh, he met with the uh, these uh, the Seneca Indians, and he shared the gospel with them. And when he had finished, uh, Chief Red Jacket said to him, and I quote, "If there is only one way to worship and serve the Great Spirit, why do you white people differ so much?" Much about it. You have been preaching to the white people around us who are our neighbors. We know them and we'll be watching to see what effect your preaching has on them. If we find that it does them good and they stop cheating us Indians, we will then consider what you have said. What Red Jacket said to uh, Missionary Cram is um, that if what you're saying is true, it's going to change people's lives, the people around us, and we're going to be able to see it. And if we see that their lives have changed because of this Jesus that you're talking to us about, then we'll consider your words. I start with that story because I think that's what Peter is going to be saying to us uh, in the next couple of chapters, through uh, through his letter, he's going to be challenging us, just like Red Jacket was challenging the missionary. That people are going to look at your lives. And if your lives are different, then Peter is saying they're going to consider this God that you're talking about. If, if your life is changed and transformed, and, and your life is like that which we all know in our heart our lives ought to be like, then we're going to take note of it. Look at verse 11 in your, in your text. It starts off, Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles. Now, Peter's already called us this once at the beginning of the letter, strangers and exiles. And he doesn't mean that we're strangers and exiles because we're somehow heavenly creatures and everybody else is an earthbound creature. No, what he's saying is this, we belong to the kingdom of God. We do not belong to any earthly kingdom here on Earth. We belong to Jesus' kingdom. And at His return, Jesus will realize His kingdom. He's going to be king over all the earth. And so Peter is telling them, "Hey, we're exiles, we're, we're strangers in the kingdom of this kingdoms of this world, because we belong to the kingdom of heaven. We belong to uh, the Lord Jesus' kingdom. We're strangers in the kingdom of America, in the kingdom of Armenia, and the kingdom of Argentina. We're exiles in the nation of Congo, and the nation of China, or Czechoslovakia, or even Chile. We have to resist, everyone, listen carefully, we have to resist conflating the lands we live in with the kingdom of God. They are not the same. I'm going to make a statement here, don't get upset with me, but even the kingdom of Israel, or even Israel, isn't the kingdom of God. If you were here last week, you'll remember Peter tells us who the kingdom of God is. He says, you are the nation of God. You're a holy nation. You're a chosen generation, a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. So in verse 11, he says, dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles in these kingdoms in which you live, to abstain from the sinful desires that wage war against your soul. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles, so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day that he visits. Now here, I think, is the theme for the next couple of chapters. Not just what I'm going to be saying today. I think this is the theme for the next next chapters in, in Peter's letter. But it's this, and it's verse 12. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles, so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works, and they'll glorify God in the day that he visits. Here, I'm going to say that a different way, just so you can get the gist of it. He, here's what Peter is saying to them, and by extension, saying to you this morning and myself. He's saying, live differently, so that your lives convict people, so that in the day when God's Spirit is working on them and wooing them and convicting them and drawing them, they'll remember you. They'll remember how your life is and they will be under conviction and they will honor God and they will turn to him. In other words, what he's saying to all of us that are reading his letter who follow Jesus, he's saying, don't be a stumbling block. He's saying, be a life that helps lead people to Jesus, not someone who stumbles everybody around you. I saw this last night and I included it in my notes. Be a fountain and not a drain. That's exactly what, uh, what Peter is saying to his listeners, to his readers, and to us. Be a fountain, not a drain. I've always felt the weight of this. I don't know if you have or not, but I've always felt the weight of causing other people to stumble. I don't want to make anyone stumble. I don't want my life to be a stumbling stone to others. And I realize that it can be. And, and that there's, ne- there's, not a, there's no way that I can control that I never cause people to stumble. But, but I feel the weight of that. You remember Jesus even told us when, when he was walking the earth and teaching his disciples personally, not through the Spirit or not through the Word of God, this is what he said, it's better for you to die. It's better for you to die than to lead one of my little ones to, uh, to stumble. So I've always felt the weight of this. That Peter's talking about. So, how do I live as a stranger, as in his exile in this kingdom in which I now find myself? And Peter's going to tell us with broad brushstrokes. And he's going to give us two, I believe, two points in how you and I are not to stumble other people, how you and I are to live as strangers and aliens. And, and here, the, here's the two brushstrokes one is what we're not to do, and then one of them is what we are to do. And again, these are big, broad strokes. But here's the first thing what we're not to do. In verse 11, he says, Says, abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. Now generally speaking, here's what Peter's saying by that. He says, "Don't give in to the desires that are doing battle within you." You know, your new life in Jesus and your old life apart from Jesus where, you know, you weren't really following God, you weren't really listening to God's voice. You were suppressing the truth. Peter says, after we come to Jesus, there's this internal battle. And he says, if you want to live in such a way as strangers and aliens in the nations in which you live, whether it's our nation or some other nation, if you want to live as a stranger and alien in there, don't give in to that internal battle to do what you want and to sin against God. Don't give in to those desires. In other words, abstain from that. Now let me just remind you of something. This is really, really good and you need to know it. You need to remind yourself of it often. Paul told us, no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to all of us. So every temptation that you have is the same temptation that I have. It's the temptation that the person sitting next to you has. Now we might not all be tempted in the same degree with the same temptations, but all of us, Paul said, we're all tempted. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as common to all of us. But God is faithful who will not not allow you monk to be tempted beyond what you're able but with the temptation he'll he'll keep you greg and he'll give you a way of escape so that you don't have to give into it and that's true of all of us not it doesn't feel like that sometimes doesn't it when you're in the throes of temptation and everything in you wants to do what you want to do and you're giving into it listen you're you're lying to yourself you don't have to give into that temptation God, God can, God can give you, God will give you a way out of it. So, so here's the broad stroke. You want to live as an alien, as a stranger. Don't give in to those. Here's what you're not to do. Don't give in to those things that you know are contrary to what God wants you to be and who He wants you, how He wants you to live. Don't give in to those. But here's the positive thing. What you do in verse 12, he says again, broad brushstroke. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles. Now, what he means by Gentiles is unbelieving Gentiles. He means people who are not following Jesus. Live your life honorably among them. Now, the word honorably there can be translated, it maybe is in your translation. It's translated as praiseworthy, something excellent, something good. In other words, on the one hand, I'm not to give in to sin in my life. On the other hand, I'm to live a life that's praiseworthy. It's the other side of the coin, if you ask me. I'm to to live a praiseworthy life in front of, of others and here's what I think Peter means by that he doesn't simply mean don't sin he means live in such a way that your life just it, it, there's something about you that draws men to you and I think it's the fruit bearing life that Paul talks about so often that each one of us is to, to live you remember the fruit of the spirit right you remember what it is it's love, joy, peace patience, kindness, goodness self control that's the kind of life I'm supposed to live. And you know, if I live that fruitful life, if I live letting God just lead me so that my life is one of kindness and goodness and patience, then, then, then Peter is saying, hey, you, people are going to be drawn to you. Live your life in such a way that the Gentiles, the unbelieving people around you, will see this goodness and they'll be drawn to God. If I can say it again, I may say it several times this morning, but be a fountain and not a drain. I love that statement. That was so good. Be a fountain and not a drain. I want to be that kind of person. Don't you? Now, as the letter continues, at least for this chapter and for part of chapter three, which we'll get into next week, but but as it continues, there's one particular manifestation of what it means to abstain from sin and live excellent. All right, and uh, it's really going to be it's going to be the it's going to be the central if one point theme of today's message. Right. And it is that you and I are to live in submission to authority. I mean, that's the overarching theme this morning. I'm to live in submission to authority. And he's going he's to talk about several aspects of that that we're going to find in the text. Look at verse 13. So in light of those broad brushstrokes, live, live, uh, live not sinning and live positive, filled with the Spirit, he says, um, submit to every human authority. Because of the Lord, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to the governors as those who, sent, who are sent out by him to punish those who do what is evil and to praise those who do what is good. For it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. Submit as free people, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but as God's slaves. Honor everyone. Love the brothers and sisters. Fear God. Fear God. Honor the Emperor. Now, now, like I said, there's a number of aspects of submission that I think Peter alludes to. That this is this is what you and this is what it means for you and me to submit to authority, all right? So I'm going to point them out. If you're keep taking notes, the thing you have kind of gives you an outline to help you follow along. But here's the first one: it's submit to all authority over us, from the least to the greatest. He says, from the emperor, who's the supreme authority within human government, I guess, at their time. But governors, and then he says, every human authority... Obviously, this doesn't mean submitting to evil authority whose demands are evil and contrary to God's desire for us. But Paul is saying to us, and here's something we need to understand, that all authority has been established by God. Family authority, work authority, governmental authorities, they've all been designed and created by God. Now that doesn't mean that God sanctions wicked husbands or wicked parents or wicked bosses or wicked evil regimes like Pol Pot's regime or Stalin's or Hitler's. I'm I'm not saying that God sanctions those things, but I am telling you that all authority comes from God. We're living in a day in which even in our own country, but even all around the world, people are trying to get rid of all authority. And say there should be no authority whatsoever. And, and, and you, you wonder, why would somebody want to get rid of all authority? Well, I think in part is because, you know, the adversary wants us to get rid of all that God has given us, which is good. And authority is one of those things that God has given us, which is good. Generally speaking, here's the point. Generally speaking, the follower of Jesus should be someone who yields to authority over him in whatever realm we find that authority. Yielding to authority should mark us as believing. Now listen to me carefully. When I come to a yield sign, I yield, right? I could blow on through the yield sign, but I yield. Why? Not because because yielding is a sign of weakness. I yield because yielding is a sign of my power being under my control. Yielding is not a sign of weakness, everyone. Yielding is a sign that you have power under control in your life. It's a way of saying that it's not about me. And it's not about my authority, but it's about God. And, uh, and that brings me to the second thing that Peter is establishing about authority. And here it is. You submit to authority for God's sake. Not for your sake, and not for the sake of the authority. You're yielding. God's calling you to submit to authority, to all authority, all human authority. You're to submit because of God. Not because of them, and not because of you, but because of them. Verse 13, submit to authority because of God. Verse 15, submit because it's God's will. Verse 16, because we are God's slaves. God uses submission, he says, to silence the unbeliever. Do you see that? It's in the text. For us as freedom-loving Americans, this command of God to live in submission to others, it chafes at us. It rubs us wrong. Why should I have to submit to anyone? I am a free creature. I shouldn't have to submit to anyone. But that's the point, isn't it? Live in submission to authority. In this day of COVID-19, I've noticed that there are many intersects of my will with the will of those in authority. And it's provoking and it's aggravating to my life. But I think, again, that's the point. It's not about me. It's not about them. It's about God. That's what he says. God calls me to submit because of him, because of his honor, because of his reputation. That brings me to the third the third thing that Peter says about authority, he says, "You submit to authority because authority was created to bring order. Those sent out by Him to punish those who do what is evil and to praise those who do what is good." You know, people want to eradicate authority in our world. We, we as believers, should be—we're nowhere. We're all about authority. God gave us authority. God gave authority to our world to help society and culture flourish. I mean, it's a good thing authority is. And he says, and here God says, Hey, I gave authority to punish what's evil and to praise what is good. So whether it's authority in the home, whether it's authority in the church, whether it's authority in the job, whether it's authority in our country, God gave us authorities to help us flourish, to stop wrongdoing. uh, But here's a point. Since all authority is human authority except for God's authority, authority can be bad. It can be evil, Okay. Uh, But the reason for the authority is good. God always established authority for a good reason, even though authority can be bad or can want us to do bad things. Number four, we are to show honor. And I don't have these numbers, so I may get the numbers wrong. But we are to show honor to all those in authority. Look at verse 17. Honor everyone, love the brothers and sisters, fear God, honor the emperor. Now, remember, a text always lives somewhere in the word of God. When you're interpreting the word of God, you have to interpret it within the context in which we find it. In this context, here's what Peter is saying. Honor everyone in authority. That's the context. Honor everyone in authority. Love the brothers and sisters. Fear God, who's our ultimate authority. Honor the emperor, who would be the ultimate authority in in government in those days. But he was a wicked person, bringing all kinds of suffering down on believers. Nero was his name. You know, I imagine most of us watched the debate this past week, or at least tried to. I got through 10 minutes of it, and I had to turn it off. And, uh, and the reason I had to turn it off was because as I watched, there was no respect for anyone's authority uh, of either person or of the moderator. That is not how you and I are to be. I'm not trying to make a ju- pass a judgment on anyone. I'm simply saying that should never represent your life, that there's no respect for authority over you. Show respect. Show honor to others, especially those who are in authority over us. Now Peter continues, look at look at the text with me. He continues on this subject of submission. He's going to continue in chapter 3 as well, but he continues. But now he's got a specific application to the submission. Do you see it? It's about slaves. Let's look at verse 18. Household slaves, submit to your masters with all reverence, not only to the good and gentle ones, but also to the cruel. For it it brings favor if, because of consciousness of God, someone endures grief for suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if, when you do wrong and are beaten, you endure it? But when you do what is good and suffer, if you endure it, that brings favor with God." Now, slavery in the Roman Empire was a fact of life when this was going on. Most people could not imagine a society without slaves. Forty percent or more, they say, of the Roman Empire, the people were slaves. Forty percent, four out of ten, were slaves. Some people spoke out against the mistreatment of slaves. And there were slave revolts. But there was no such thing as, as an abolitionist movement. There was no concept of a world without slavery. In fact, and listen to this, it would be Jesus and his ethic and his followers who would eventually lead, I believe, an abolitionist movement against slavery. The fate of every slave depended largely on the temperament of his or her master. And masters could punish slaves for real wrongs or they could punish them for perceived infractions or just punish them because they were cruel. Sexual abuse of slaves was, was tremendous or great. It was common. Slave work included hard labor, but it also included skilled services like tutoring and, uh, and bookkeeping and managing the person's home. Masters would often uh, free slaves for numerous reasons, including reward for obedience or just out of love for them. Some masters would even adopt their slaves if they didn't have children. They would adopt their slave and make them their son and give them uh, heir to everything they had. There was a wide range of divergence for the slaves, but it all depended on the master. And the master would determine whether a slave would be educated or illiterate, poor or wealthy, or whether they would be abused or comfortable. I don't know about you, but I so wish that Paul or Peter had condemned slavery. I wish somewhere in the Word of God that it condemned it outright, that God repudiated the practice, but it's not there. However, the ethic of Jesus leads us to that conclusion. And like I just said a moment ago, it would be the followers of Jesus who would lead the way to abolition of slavery, both in, both in the empire of, of Great Britain and then eventually in our own country. But that would not come for centuries. And even around the world now today, it's Jesus' ethic that has changed that. Nonetheless, in this context in which we find ourselves in the world, Peter has two things to say about submission that I think are really important for us to grab a hold of and, uh, and see. okay? Because I think they speak to our life. Here's the, here's the first one. Submission to authority was still expected even in the unjust institution of slavery. Even in this thing that we understand today to be unjust and, and to be wrong from God's perspective. Even in that institution, Peter is saying, you're to live a life of submission to authority. Even if you're suffering under some abusive master who is, is causing you pain, you are to be a person who exemplifies submission to authority. Now, notice again that even in this context, I don't want you to miss it, you're not doing that because of the master. You're not doing that because it's going to go well with you, although there is something to that in just a moment, we'll see. But he says you're to do this because of your conscience sake towards God. The reason you're to walk in submission to authority, Peter says, is because of God. Not because you agree with them, not because you are a glutton for personal pain and you want to submit to an evil person who is causing you pain. No, he says because your submission reflects on God and your submission speaks to who God is and to your love for God. It speaks to your willingness to trust a God who would even allow such pain in your life. Now, we don't have slavery today, so the closest modern application for us, I would think, would be in the realm of employment. So if you'd allow me just to to change a couple of words. um, Employees, submit to your bosses with all reverence, not only to the good and gentle ones, but also to the cruel ones. As believers in Christ, submission to authority goes with us to work. And, it ha- and, and, and my submission to my authority at work, whether it be my boss or whether it be my manager, I mean, God is trying to tell us submission even to guys who are not good or women who are not good who are over us. That says something to the world around us. And I am to practice that kind of submission in the workplace. I, I am to evidence that and reflect that to the people around me in my work spot. I think that would reflect itself, and I'll, I'll say more about this in just a moment, but, but that would reflect in how I speak about them, what I say about them. You know, we live in such a politically divided uh, time, don't we? Here's one thing I'd like to say to you. I'd like to say to all of us, regardless of what side you're on, there, there is something about submission to those in authority that requires that how I speak and how I treat with honor is evidenced in my life regardless of what my political views are, regardless of how I think my leadership might be wrong or even evil or unjust. Regardless of that, something about my life should illustrate submission to authority. And that's true in your workplace. Now listen, we live in a country where you are free to get another job. So listen, if you don't like the job and you don't like your boss, you are free to move and move. But while you're in that situation, there's something about your life that should show respect to authority. Now here's the second thing, and it kind of goes along with that one, but submission was still expected even when I'm personally treated unjustly. Not just in evil institutions does submission need to be shown, but even when I'm personally being treated unjustly, Peter says there's something about your life as a follower of Jesus that it ought to illustrate that you are still somebody under authority, that you still submit to those who are over you. Now, when Paul addressed the subject of slaves and, and masters, I mean, he spoke to the slaves like Peter did, but he also spoke to masters, and he said, listen, you're, you're a Christ follower, and there's, you're mastery, you're, you're the fact that you're the master over slave, it has an effect on how you treat people who are under you, right? So I, I would say that to bosses, etc. But, but my point here, Peter's point here, is that even when you suffer unjustly, your life should represent... A person under authority and one who is submissive. Why? Again, because it reflects on God. Verse 19, read it with me again. For it brings favor if because of consciousness of God, because of your relationship and your love for God, you you don't respond to unjust suffering. He says, man, it reflects on God. Someone endures grief from suffering unjustly for what credit is if is it if when you do wrong you are beaten you endure it but when you do what is good and suffer if you endure it this brings favor with God so here's what Peter says to them you know if you do wrong and you and you reap you reap from your wrong behavior and actions he says that's one thing he says but if you're suffering and you've done nothing wrong notice what he says man it 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 brings favor with God 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 appreciates that. God notices that. God sees it when you suffer and you're suffering unjustly. The message translates that verse like this. This is what counts with God. God sees it. Here's, Here's what I think Peter's trying to say to us, that in the kingdom to come or in God's kingdom and in God's economy, God sees it when you and I are suffering unjustly but because of his sake because of his reputation because of your relationship with him you live a life of submission to authority and your life is not one who demonstrates rebellion he says this is what it shows it shows something it shows something about God and God notices it and God is going to reward it in his kingdom now you know why does that find favor with God why is God going to reward that in some way um You know, I thought about this. If you haven't voted yet, when you go to vote, there's going to be two amendments on the ballot. And one of the amendments, they have to do with the Virginia Constitution. One of the amendments on the ballot is that if a man or woman has served in in our armed forces, state or or federal, and they are injured, so they're 100% disabled. We're changing the Constitution, if it passes, to amend it to say that we're going to give them their car fees for free, their titles, their car titles, their car taxes. We're going to give that to them if they've been injured and they're 100% disabled because of their service to our country. Why do we do that? Why are, we, why are we going to do that? I mean, I think it's a good thing, right? Why are we going to do that? We're going to do that because we recognize when someone has suffered because they've been trying to do something good for all of us, there, there should be some sort of blessing for that. So I think God recognizes that. And when, when we suffer... For Christ's sake, unjustly, but we do it because we want to honor His reputation. We want to make His name big, and we want, when God visits unbelievers, for them to remember our lives and for them to be convicted by our lives. God says, "Man, that blesses me." And here's what I think, and this is just Jimmy's thoughts, but but I believe there's going to be great reward for our brothers and sisters who have had to endure so much suffering around the world. I mean, we've lived in the bubble. We've lived in the Western bubble, and we've suffered so very little. But around the world, that's not true. Our brothers and sisters are suffering greatly today, unjustly for the cause of Christ. And I think there's going to be great reward for all of them because when they've lived and when they've suffered unjustly, but they've been faithful to the Lord. But Peter goes on and he says this, Peter declares that another reason for us to do that is not just because, you know, God's going to bless that or reward that. But here, this is my last point about submission. Peter says, we walk in submission even when we suffer because Jesus modeled this for us. Jesus is our model. We, we do this because Jesus modeled it. He did it for us. Verse 21. For you were called to this, to what? To suffer, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Without a a doubt, Jesus is our supreme model. I think, I'd like to hope that you'd say he's my model because I follow him. And, and, And Peter says he's our supreme model and so we're to follow him in this realm of submission even though as he submitted, he suffered greatly. I don't know if you're tracking with me at all. Maybe your mind's jumping ahead, but if it is tracking with me, maybe you thought of this verse. It's in Philippians. And it's talking about you and me, and it talks about Jesus, Jesus, and it says, live like this because of Jesus. And this is, this is I think, from a, from a contemporary translation, but I'm going to read it. It says, as you deal with one another, you should think and act as Jesus did. In His very nature, He was God. Jesus was equal with God, but Jesus didn't take advantage of that fact. Instead, He made Himself nothing. He did this by taking on the nature of a servant. He submitted Himself. He was made just like human beings, just like us. He appeared as a man. He was humble, and He obeyed God completely. And He did this even though it led to His death. Even worse, He died on a cross But God highly exalted him and gave him a name that is above every name. Jesus never did anything wrong, everyone. He he never failed the Lord. He didn't merit the treatment that he got. But he submitted himself... He submitted himself to the authority over him, even to the point of death. And when he was submitted to the authority, remember how Pilate said of Jesus just before he crucifies him? He says, there are no grounds for charging this man. I can find nothing wrong with this man. So Jesus is suffering unjustly, and yet he did so for us. It is for these reasons that Peter instructs all believers. Again, verse 21. For you were called to this because Jesus also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. If the world is watching us, then they, they should see Jesus. You know why? Because we're watching Jesus and we're trying to be like Jesus. We're trying to follow him. I know most of you know this story, but back in the 1800s, Charles Sheldon delivered a series of messages to his church in Topeka, Kansas, and he, he'd made a story out of his messages that he preached week after week, and uh, and in these messages, he spoke about a community of believers who began to model their behavior in their lives after the character and walk of Jesus, and his text was this one, 1 Peter 2.21, and his sermons were compiled into a book that you know, it was called in his steps and the question that these believers in this community began to ask themselves before everything they did and he challenged everybody in their church to to do he challenged everybody to do this they would ask the question what would Jesus do before everything that they did and it transformed their church and that book became a bestseller back then it was profound and yet it was simple they were changed by just the question what would Jesus do and then try to model their life after him Let's continue looking and see what Peter explicitly says about Jesus in verse 22. Peter goes on and he says, He did not commit sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not tra- threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. So, so you remember the two broad strokes? Let's go back to the two broad strokes back at the beginning. You remember them? The first one was abstain from sin. Notice what it says, Peter says about Jesus in verse 22. He did not sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. Jesus never sinned. Statistically, when they ask churches like ours, did Jesus ever sin? A great proportion of the people will say, yes, he did. Please, if they ever pull Bacon's Castle Baptist Church family, may you all know Jesus never sinned. It's why he could be the substitute for you. It's why he could die in your place. Why he didn't have to die for his own sin. Because he never sinned. With a broad brushstroke, stroke, Jesus lived a life of sinless perfection. Know that. Believe that. That's why you follow him. Because he never sinned. But then look at the second thing it says about him. But when he was insulted and he was reviled, he did not return insult for insult. That's the other brush stroke about how he lived. I mean, here's a perfect Savior who never sins, hanging naked, suffering, on his way to death, right? And the Bible says that he doesn't do what you and I want to do, right? Which is curse the other side, curse the people who are against us, curse the people who are hurting us, curse the people who are making us suffer. That's not what Jesus did. It says he did an insult and he didn't revile back. But what does it say he did? He entrusted himself to God. He entrusted himself to God. Paul tells us that in the book of Romans. He says, hey, don't take vengeance. Entrust yourself to God. He'll take care of that. He's going to deal justly with all of us. So then the new kingdom, his justice will prevail. Remember, he's your model. Follow after him. Broad breaststrokes. Abstain from sin, everyone. Broad brushstroke. Live in such a way that people will see your life. And they're going to say, wow, that person's different. Why are they like that? Why are they kind when everybody's hating them? Why why are they so gracious when when they're being treated so unjustly? Man, I want to know what's going on in your life. And then you have an opportunity to point to the one who has made you to be like that. That is the Lord Jesus. Peter goes on to tell us why Jesus suffered for us like this. He suffered for us. He suffered because he was suffering for us. He was suffering for Jimmy. He was dying for Jimmy. He was paying for my sin. He's dying for your sin. And I tell you, you need it because you're guilty. And you're going to die for your sin. You're going to die. You're dying because of your sin. Jesus died for you so that you can live again. Here's what Peter goes on to say in verse 24. He says, For he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that having died to sin... We might live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but you have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. This is why Jesus was wounded. This is why Jesus was willing to hang naked, bleeding, suffering on a cross, and then experience death. Why he was willing to do all of that? He was willing to do it because he was doing it for you. Now, let's go back to the theme of the next few chapters in the book of Peter. Remember it at the beginning? It's so that your life, your life might affect unbelievers around you. So, in the day of visitation, in the day when the Spirit of God is drawing them, they might remember you. You're you're, you're living the life you're living so that people would see your life. And then, when the Spirit of God is drawing them, they're going to remember you. And they're going to say, Yeah, God. I want to follow you like Jimmy did. I want to follow you like Chris did. I want to follow you like Joy did. This is why our whole life, this is why we should live for the Lord because people are living, or this is why we suffer and yet we revile not, even when we suffer unjustly because people see it. And just like Jesus suffered for us, we suffer and we trust God so that other people might be impacted by our life and they too might come to follow our Savior. That's why we do it. Let me see if I can boil Peter's message down to a paragraph in my own words. I'm I'm done, so this is it. But I want to boil it all down for you in my own words. Here's what I've been trying to say through all those many words. I need to recognize, this is what I think Peter's message is in these verses, I need to recognize that I belong to a different kingdom. And in the kingdoms of this world, I'm a stranger and an alien. And I need to live in these kingdoms in a way that helps the people of these kingdoms learn about my king and about his kingdom. And I do this by not sinning and living the life that Jesus lived in kindness and in grace. And one specific thing that God wants me to do and live is he wants me to live in a submitted to the authorities over me because he's going to use that to draw men to himself. I do that for God, even if it means I suffer. And I suffer knowing that Jesus modeled submission and suffering for me. I do it for others. So I may not like a law but I'll obey it. I may not appreciate the person in office, but I will honor the position. I may not like the direction of the nation I'm living in, the direction it's going, so I pray for God's intervention for that nation. I will submit to God first and to all human authority, even if it means I suffer doing so, and I will respond even as he responded when he suffered. I think that's the message of Peter. Would you bow your heads with me? And this is the point of um, and this is the point of response to the Word of God. And actually, when you leave here and in this afternoon and the days to come is the response, if you meditate on these things, if you read over the text and think back through what I'm saying, that'll be the time of application. But in this moment while you've been sitting under the word of God and my understanding of it presenting it to you, if God is speaking to you, if God is putting his finger on something, if you're suffering and you're wanting to just return evil for evil, if you're struggling with submission to authority, whether it's at home, young people, or whether it's at work, or whether it's in, in the context of our political leadership, I just urge you today to reaffirm your submission to authority. Not because of them, not because of you, but because of God. Because you love him, because you want to follow him, because Jesus left you an example, a model for us. Would you just take a moment, I'm going to be quiet for just a few seconds, and and just, would you just talk to God about anything that's on your heart that God may have touched in your heart today? Father God, I just, you know, I just want to say I want to be a man under authority. I want to be a man submitted to authority because of Jesus, because of you. I want my life, Lord, not to be a, a drain, but a fountain to the lost people around me who don't know you, who you love and you desire for them to come to faith and trust in you. Father, I want, I want my life, and I know my brothers and sisters want their lives also to do that. Lord, teach us. How to walk in authority, how to walk submitted to authority, to all human authority over us. Lord, it's complicated at times. And, you know, we, we're not sure, especially when, when authority is asking us to do things that we know are evil and wrong. We're not supposed to submit to them because you're our highest authority. So it's, it's not always cut and dry. But, Lord, I pray that there'll be something about us, Lord, that shows that we are people under authority, even if it, we mean, even if it means we suffer. And then, God, would you just use our suffering, even as you use the suffering of Jesus to save us, Lord, would you use our suffering to save others? And by that I mean, Lord, to to convict them, to bring, uh, to bring prodding, uh, to bring the prodding of the Spirit, Lord, to a place of fruition in their lives. So, Lord, use our suffering. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at BaconsCastle.com. Also, check out our website at BaconsCastle.com to get to know us and see what God is doing locally here in Surrey. Be blessed.